Good. I'm great. Lovely to be here, Robert. Um, where to start? Where to start? Insurance, health. Actually, let's start with health. What has been the... What's your headspace actually been, been in the health sector when something like that leads with health and devastation to so many all over the world at once? Like how how's the headspace approaching business when the problem that the world has is has actually health related well yeah and i think we're this is uncharted territory when you think about it sort of manifested it as a health crisis to start with then a social crisis uh, and then an economic crisis so it has been extremely challenging i guess um navigating it through what is a multi-dimensional uh issue um what we're hearing a lot from our members and customers is is um health is top of mind uh, obviously um and actually i think this is a an example where the vulnerabilities um of the human i guess race has sort of come to the fore uh, as part of this pandemic and what we're hearing a lot of people is they want a little bit more assurance what's my flu jab what's my health status what's my um temperature all those componentry that we sort of largely took for granted uh, are top of mind now um and so look i think uh, if anything um being in the health industry means we've been really close to this and being able to respond appropriately but um again what we're hearing from a lot of our customers and members that uh, i guess health is at the forefront of people's minds now yeah the i've kind of been seeing it in waves right the first wave of health medical next wave of um uh, commerce business economy money shit and the third one of community and we've got the short-term medium-term longer-term thing i've been worried about the long-term health of people this medium-term thing of coming back out of or going into and out of a recession and the short-term thing of like how do we save lives you actually sit at the intersection of all three of those things, which I'm just thinking about because other people are, you know, like certain people are just dealing with this one piece to get health right. And then certain other people in businesses and hospital and then the long-term side of it, you sit across all three of it. So in a, in a weird way, you're probably having to attack or look at the whole bigger picture. So maybe we'll go here for a sec. When you look at COVID from a business perspective and then from a health perspective and community, how do you sort of navigate the priorities of we we want to shift your energy and momentum with priorities within your organization like how how do you because that's tension on both sides right because you've got like you've got you've you've got it all in hitting at once so how, how have you kind of i guess had a leader of the organization navigated through your your headspace with us well i think there was probably um when we framed our response we probably had four big um uh, I guess, stages of our pandemic response plan. The first was protect our people. And I think most organisations have done that. You know, this is a health and safety risk at its core. Uh, so fundamentally, probably the bedrock of our pandemic response response plan was protect our people. Uh, the second thing, uh, obviously, because that um, went from, I guess, level one to level four extremely quickly was uh, mobilise our workforce. So we spent uh, quite a lot of time and the ability to have our 800 people fully mobilised, fully operationalised so we can serve uh, our members and customers. And we had spent a couple of years investing a lot in our digital foundations, about 80% uh, of our business is digital now, and we spent a lot in our sort of cloud-based Office 365 productivity tool sets to make sure. But we had to do the last 10% in about four days as a scaled agile organisation. So you can imagine that. But yeah. it was quite beautiful to see 
um, and an enterprise-wide scaled agile uh, uh, where there was shared outcomes, uh, cross-functional teams, and we really nailed that last 10% uh, extremely well. So uh, in most uh, things, good structured thinking was really important. So protect our people and mobilize our workforce. More recently, Robert, probably the last um, two or three weeks, we've been really in that cushioning the blow phase. So uh, people's uh, balance sheets and businesses' balance sheets have not even just been destroyed, but heavily disrupted. So we've said, how can we make sure that we are there uh, for our customers and our members, uh, given we're actually owned by them? You know, in the Southern Cross model, our collective members are actually our owners. So um, deep in our DNA, deep in our culture uh, is the sense of, um, I guess, uh, making sure we're operating in their best interest. So the third phase is really about how do we uh, cushion the blow for that and keep as many, many people as possible in that. And the fourth phase, which was pretty much our strategy, is how do we uh, come out strong in a sense? How do we move? Because um, I've said to you probably in the past, we might be in the industry of health insurance, but we're in the business of health assurance. How do we uh, make sure we're delivering uh, for our members and customers more assurance about their health uh, and increasing, I guess, the quality of their life through that? So they're probably the four phases um, and really sort of some structured thinking and progression through that. Yeah, the um, the the dynamic, which is also almost funky, it's not like you're the, the corporate to the to shareholders and all this other stuff it's like by the it's the people themselves and it's their health so what's the feedback being like from the people like how, how have they i guess they're the boss in, in many respects but it's a probably a different dynamic to just i guess regular shareholders on wall street or something has it been more led with empathy and understanding has it been tension on the commerce has it been care on the community what, what's the vibe from the the people like because obviously your ownership structure is different right yeah, and I think that ownership structure does, it's nice actually having your shareholder as your customer. It short circuits a lot of things. Um, and so ultimately our job is to is to operate in the best interests of the collective customers. Um, and so at the end of the day, I would probably describe our culture as a result of that is there is a deep sense of cause and purpose, yeah, empowering Kiwis to live the healthiest lives is our core purpose. So that's deep within our DNA and our culture. Uh, care, the health space is a lot about care. So having detailed, you know, um, you know, a culture of care is critical. Uh, the sense of can do um, is really, really important. And the sense of customer, that's who we do serve. So there's one thing about health, Robert, probably outside other industries I've been experienced is, is it is, has a close affinity. Uh, health is very, very personal. Uh, you know, we may not think about it every day, um, but often when we are compromised of our health, it is very deep and very personal. And I think yeah. one thing I've noticed in the relationship between our members and our customers is we're sort of a, almost in a partnership with their health and well-being rather than just mm, delivering. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Um, and that's, yeah. we've got customers for 30 or 40 years and that's how they see Southern Cross as an indispensable partner in that health and well-being. Um, and I think that's really come to the fore and we had to stand and deliver. And things like our $50 million pledge, you know, giving, um, I guess, having money in the pockets of our members and customers rather than on our balance sheet was a good example of how we have probably lead, leaded into or leaned into that uh, in these tough times. The um, the structure, so within, you know, people look at corporates and all this other stuff. And then when you look at the NFL, so it's a big business, but the Green Bay Packers have an ownership model where it's actually owned by the fans. 
And yeah. to and to get a, a season pass to the Green Bay Packers, there's a wait list of a hundred years now. Wow. Just to be on the wow. wait list for it because it changes the dynamic of relationship, of the culture of the organization, of the bonds with with and the love and the care and all the rest of it. So yeah, when it affects you deeply, and that's just sport. So imagine like when it's stuff that, that really, really affects you. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I hadn't actually thought that for a second. But then when you got one of the things you're talking about before, because you obviously lucky you said, you know, 90% of the business was there. You had to do that last 10%. A lot of businesses had to go from zero to 100 real yes. quick, right? And and I've been thinking about looking at all these different businesses about the gaps and in, in holes in the boat, tech holes in the boat, which have now going to have to get patched up after this entire thing. You obviously were ahead of the game really early to do that. And, you know, we had um, Clive Omerod on the show as the CEO of Les Mills, and he was saying this didn't change our strategy at all. Yes, all yes. it did is it sped it up from like three years to three yes. days or three weeks or whatever it was, right? <laughs> but And so you were actually ahead of that as well because you, you not only had thought about it, you had actually already transitioned 90% of your business to go there anyway. So from a strategic standpoint, probably for yourself, not probably really similar to Les Mills is not much actually probably changed. You just had to, you know, accelerate that last 10% really fast, right? Like, did it, did it make you feel probably either confident or proud that the strategy was, was right? Did it validate where you knew it was going to? Like, there were, obviously, there was probably a lot of um, probably feedback and probably just safety to the business knowing you, you'd made the right call soon, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think you'd be the first to probably agree uh, around digital, isn't it? I mean, I think digital is an investment, a strategy to deliver a customer experience that really defines your brand. Yeah, um, and so we have done a lot of work, I guess. I guess investing in our digital foundations for, I guess, the functional excellence of our business or automating that business. But a large amount of our strategy is now is around reimagining, I guess, the customer experiences, yeah, powered by digital, uh, that deeply build uh, health assurance, deeply build affinity with our membership. Um, and so I sort of probably see them as as different. A lot of work was done in, in making sure that we could mobilise and operationalise, but we're only at the start of a journey about reimagining the customer experience as a health assurer, which is different mm. than paying the bills, I guess, as a health insurer. Um, mm. And so I think, uh, as you're right, there's been some extreme pivots with business, you know, when the revenues have collapsed and uh, it's not their fault. Um, mm. But again, um, to really understand who your customers, really understand what your value proposition is, really understand how you're going to compete and fueled by digital, fueled by uh, those sorts of things, I think is critical. If I look at the health system now, I'd probably describe it's, uh, future system is digital, digital, digital at its core, supported by you know the incredible people that wrap around it. But uh, the reality is that we've been operating in a physical distancing uh, type mode. It's going to be this for some time. Yep. Um, so making sure that uh, things like virtual care, things that augmented reality are going to find their place, I think, in some of the modern experiences. Yeah, the whole... The time for reimagine all of it, especially from a customer side, it's a no-brainer that that's happening. But the difference, obviously, within health is there's, you know, we had uh, Janine Crossan on the show, the um, Power yeah. by Flossy CEO, and she was saying it's almost going to be a, a an economy of fear where, especially when it comes to hygiene, obviously, with, you know, hair care and nail products and whatever, physical distance, touch, uh closeness proximity is going to be the the mindset of of customers is going to be at a different it's going to be quite fearful for the next bit obviously 
with a close up. It's it's like some you know it's right on you. It's in you. It's blood. It's DNA. All the rest of it. How do you think that this future potential world of customer experience starts to look like from a medical perspective? Because I'm I'm imagining it's not necessarily back to the drawing board, but I'm is the approach utilizing tech to create more visible safety or with with data or like what's the what's the kind of the approach that people are, that you've people in your world are talking about when it comes to the the future customer experience of of health yeah i would probably i mean that's a the million dollar question yeah. uh, isn't it really but i think what i see um and i probably describe it as two things we've uh, in new zealand in particular we quite blessed with a very good um uh, system yeah, but I would call it largely uh, a very classical traditional system, which is when you're sick, you have symptoms, you turn up in a physical space, yeah, and you get well looked after. Yeah, um, I think there's still going to be quite a bit of disruption uh, for, I guess, the psychology of patients and customers um, that they are going to want to be served, as well as the health health force in different ways. So I put that in the how do we functionally deliver sick care well. But there's this other area, which is probably more around healthcare, is is how do I get assurance that I'm actually healthy rather than I have symptoms and need to be uh, treated when I'm sick? And I think that is a territory um, more and more people are going to want to understand what is my temperature? More and more people are going to understand what is my immunity status? More and more people is um, how resilient am I yeah, mentally and physically to these sorts of things? Um, and empowering uh, people around that. I do think that's probably a true healthcare system rather than a sick care system. The, um, ever since, you know, Nike put the little trackers into track steps and then the Fitbits and the thing, you know, I've, I've still got one now, the whole, the, the visualization like of data in real time, the shareability, the, you know, the AR stuff, the, the virtual robotic operation stuff that's going through, it all gets you quite, um, it's pretty, it's not only accepted, it's almost exciting, but to be able to use that for the right thing is always, is always good for, for the customer. When you see now, when you look at this next sort of wave ahead, what gets you most fearful at a New Zealand level and then at a global level when you look at the effects of COVID to New Zealand and the world? Well, I guess there's probably immediate fear at the moment um, is, uh, I guess, immunisations are still uh, in the 12 to 18 month camp. And all the advice I'm getting is that's not something that's going to instantly uh, happen. So if you think about a 12 to 18 month horizon where in New Zealand you could be in a level two situation for some time, physical distancing, um, you know, that is a, you know, quite a long time and a number of different behaviours and that sort of manifest over that period of time. Now, they're looking to accelerate some treatments to reduce the worst effects of COVID. I think that's probably more likely than uh, an immunisation in the short term. So there's this... Mm. um, this real fear uh, at the moment, as you say, yeah, um, around that. I, I think the response here in New Zealand has been close to textbook in terms of reducing yeah. uh, the extent of COVID in, in the New Zealand uh, environment. And we're lucky that we have some borders that we can control. So I do feel like that, but there is a heightened anxiety there. Mm. Um, I guess my fear is um, 
the system doesn't respond, yep, or um, uh, to be a true healthcare system, you know, a well-integrated um, uh, system, because yeah, health is actually quite very bespoke, it's quite fragmented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so the question is, um, a lot of other industries have looked at health as a global, haven't they? New Zealand has exported mm. extremely well, it's thinking globally. Uh, health's often been quite domestic. Um, so I just hope uh, that really uh, through this, um, the investment uh, in the right long-term system for New Zealand Inc. and for Kiwis uh, is, at the, is at the forefront, uh, I guess, of the thinking here because... Um, because this is it's not a once-off, you know. No, it's no, not. Totally. Well, you know, it, back to the, the the point about cloud is, you know, most people that have shifted into this this new world now they're on these I'm calling you know, these like cloud digital train tracks. If it goes back to business as usual, whatever, you can't really those two worlds aren't going to mesh anymore yeah. because there's too many different variables: the virtual, the remote, the staffing, the money, the health, the, the data. Just it's too it's too much. And then when you go uh, for where it's going to go in the future it needs you know like what we've been talking about uh, like the brave leadership of either boards and stuff going to be handbrake or, or gas it's going to be offense or defense like yeah. the hammer down let's try with stuff or and so i think there's going to be a really clear divide with i guess defense-based lead leadership and boards or um offense-based leadership and and really anyone that's in management whatever is going to be saying hey well we shifted you know to your point you know 10% or 20, 30, 50% of our business totally online within a couple of days. Yeah. Why can't we try dot, dot, dot? Yeah. Why aren't we dot, dot, dot? So there's going to be quite a lot of, and to be a fly on the wall of a lot of these, um, when people get back in the same room together, just the decompression of everyone just getting everything out is going to be, it's going to be some lawn board meetings. I'll tell you that much. There's going to be some, there's going to be some shit. People are like, what the fuck? But it's going to need to happen. And I just don't want this to be a moment where, the world stops, pauses. Everyone has more than enough time to reset. And after taking on all board, they go back to the old ways that it was just because it's more convenient for, right. their, for their own headspace. That will be the biggest, you know, gong show, which I, I just don't want to have happen. That's the, that's the thing that I would hate. And I think probably the greatest trait of leadership is really adaptability and agility. It's certainly been tested through this. But you're right. Um, boards or humans is either risk on or risk off. We don't really operate very well in that middle zone. We're either conservative or full on. Yeah. And so uh, all board members are humans. Um, yeah. So, the, But the question is here is, I guess your fight for survival is how quickly can you have a growth mindset? How quickly can you see the shifts on the horizon rather than just the waves lapping at your feet? Yeah. So how adaptable and agile are you in your in your operating model uh, through your leadership and those sorts of things? So I think leadership for me is all about adaptability and agility now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you only got to go back to it's not the strongest that survive. It's, the, you know, the most adaptable, isn't it? And I think that's true of business. Um, what's been the biggest things that surprised you or got you most proud of your of your team in this last six six eight weeks six weeks we simply lived our values uh, um i think that's probably what i'm most proud of like as i say for me uh, a brand used to be you know uh what you promise to the market but a brand nowadays is really about what your customers tell you it is um and so uh, your customers tell you what your brand is based on the experiences they have not what's on tally yeah and so for me uh, you know we're a glass box brand so uh, what you see on the outside is what you should see on the inside so i feel i feel the most proud that our people our leadership 
um, live the values of our organisation um, through this. Yeah, and we were true to those, and we were true in delivering to our our purpose and our mission, uh, and and uh, I guess our business model. So I think when I stand back from it, because brands are really defined in tough times, not really defined in good times. I feel like we we stepped up to the plate um, and lived our values. And I think that's probably, when I look back at that, that's probably the most important thing. But also, as you say, we achieved a lot in a very short period of time. Crazy. Eh? Like so just... why, why can't we do that uh, all the time? Yeah. Um, uh, and so for me, it did show that a scaled agile model, yeah, um, mm. where it's really purposeful, it's really outcome orientated, it's very strong, cross-functional, uh, and it's all in, uh, does deliver. I mean, you had the advantage if 90% of your flipping business was already in the digi space, 100% of your staff probably at least knew what Google Teams was or Microsoft Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts or what a Slack channel meant. I mean, some of the, the chat has been mind-blowing that these some of these businesses have no, had no clue and had got forced into it and and just the shock of reality to this new world would have been such a fearful time for so many when they didn't know it. it's like because i know what it's like if i look at if i look at a flipping recipe to cook pasta i'm probably like what is that shit i don't know what that's like but imagine what they would be like in the tech world that they don't understand it anyway and what i also kind of um we had uh, ed hyde on who's the chief operating officer uh, customer officer at um at uh, chorus and they were saying you know the work that they made the call on 10 years ago built out the infrastructure to enable humans today to actually be able to communicate effectively and run these businesses but at the time if everyone remembers they got so much shit for it because they're like why are you spending all the money blah, 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 blah. and sometimes it takes that bravery early that was a call made a decade ago before this happened to have an, the infrastructure in place to literally be able to keep an entire country's economy rolling to some degree digitally staff working remotely it wouldn't have been possible it would have gone to it'd been a great depression in new zealand if that shit hadn't happened so i think people need to also be mindful of that too if, as tough as it is commercially it could be so 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 much worse if they, there was enough brave leadership earlier like decades ago and so when i think about this moment now it's the same thing right because in 10 years from now they're gonna be saying oh i'm so lucky we did dot 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 now in 2020 after covid ac because we would have been stuffed with whatever so i think it's quite a you know to your, to your point before it's like it's not exposing leadership but it's really just bringing great leaders to the forefront that are sort of making these calls right like when you when you look at this next i've been thinking about you know pc pre-covid ac after covid when you look at ac the world of ac what gets you most excited about the new new zealand of what could be with you know obviously we're hoping to get through the, the medical stuff right and the financial like let's just park that but at a macro when you look at it if you're an alien looking at new zealand what would get you most excited about what our new future could potentially look like well i guess what always uh my hope for new zealand has always been and what gets me most excited is the ability um uh i guess to industrialize our ideas as a nation yeah into uh, long-term high margin export businesses yeah to slowly reshape our economy over time because um, you know i always believe that new zealand uh in new zealand's prosperity yeah and its potential 
And I think over the last five to 10 years time, we've learned how to industrialize businesses to some levels of scale. Um, that was not in our DNA 10 years, 20 years, 30 years prior to that. So I'd like to keep on thinking that our economy yeah, can be an export economy. It can be a large high margin digital uh, economy. And I just think with the move at a global scale yeah, to uh, you know, digital propositions, all those sorts of things, then if we do organise ourselves well, if we do uh, think about the world rather than just uh, domestically, we can reshape, uh, I guess, our future prospects of the country. Um, and so that's always what gets me uh, most excited is is not selling out, you know, um, uh, you know, not becoming a small medium just a small medium businesses they are still the backbone of our country and should be but how do we scale some large businesses globally yeah um uh, as a result i guess of the learnings of this and the opportunities that come from this it's always going to be the one a new zealand to the world and even just from a from a tech perspective you know it was the second biggest exporter it was on track to be number one within 18 months and this is a while ago i'm imagining now without tourism there and the rest of it probably wins by default at this point unfortunately um dude i really appreciate your time man i know you're a busy man you got your fingers in a whole bunch of shit that's that's rolling along and I'm, i'll be keen to, to to check back in of you know when we get back down to the next level of when people get when leadership and boards get back together and they have the decompress and the unwind of all the stuff that happened, some of the actual learnings and stuff that, that came out of it as well, which can help make the businesses go faster. But, you know, I've been fortunate enough, I've got to meet a bunch of your team and crew and everyone's yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty on the same page though. It's quite cool, like, because obviously, like, we, we're having the yarn. So, yeah, you're pretty fortunate that you got, obviously, leading pretty well from the front. And, I mean, at, right at the start, you said it, you were 90% there before this even kicked off. So you definitely made the calls. But I appreciate your time, brother, and um, I wish you well for this next little phase. And pleasure, Robert. And thanks, actually. You were a little bit of a fire starter with some of our culture, too. <laughs> so you're part of our family. So I do really, really appreciate you uh, oh, having good. me here and uh, what you're doing, actually, to get the New Zealand narrative and conversation going. No, I appreciate it, brother. Um, always, It's always a classic one because I'll come in and half the time they can use me as a scapegoat after I leave to just blame me for it. <laughs> Love your work, brother. Thanks heaps. All there. right. See you later. See you, bro. Peace. Yeah, bro. What a champion. The bro. Nick. Legend. Have a good day, team. I'll see you soon.